0: Welcome to the Warrior Mama Podcast as we learn how to apply God's Word to our lives in motherhood. Finding in big and small ways that the truth of the gospel applies not just to our lives as moms, but also to our children's lives, so that as we stand anchored in Him, we mother confidently with our hearts at rest. I'm so glad you're joining me today at the kitchen table. Welcome back to The Kitchen Table. This week, again, we're inside of building our foundations on the gospel, and we are taking apart different moments in time, stages, or seasons we encounter with our kids, and we're actually looking at these places with a gospel lens. We're trying to understand, how can I interact with this child, with this thing, whatever this thing may be, with a foundation built on the gospel, built on the word, not built on whatever the newest fad is for how we're supposed to parent, not built on what my mom did with me or didn't do with me. We're not trying to react against what we experienced as a child and we're not trying to emulate necessarily what we experienced as a child. We're not trying to be like every other parent out there. We're trying to be like our heavenly father and understand from the word how that would inform our parenting. We have been embracing and looking at six overarching principles of motherhood based on the gospel. Let's go over those really fast, and then we're going to jump into what we're going to talk about today, which is what do we do when we have a child who is struggling with throwing fits, tantrums, biting, hitting, all the things of those very early years that sometimes we can see again (laughs) as they go into their teen years. Now I know it's going to look different, but we're going to talk about it in both spaces, and we're going to be talking about even the conversations we can have with them and how we view them. But before we do that, let's review again. What are our six overarching principles that the gospel gives us about motherhood? Number one, that our children have great value and worth to God. We can see that over and over again in scripture, we landed and we camped on Isaiah 43. Number two, we are called to separate the sin from the sinner. Their sin is not their identity, but their sin is, makes them desperately in need of a savior. Right? And so we want to highlight their sin, but we don't attach their sin to their identity. So they are, their sin may be lying, right? They're not a liar. They lie. And we need to understand that because number three, number the third point is that we're going to allow for an understanding of the heart motivation for what that sin behavior is. So we're going to dig down. We're going to understand what lies beneath, help our child understand what lies beneath. Why? Because when we understand the sin that we wrestle with, and we understand the heart motivations, the lies we're believing, just our own flesh, who we are. When we understand that, it highlights our need for a Savior. It makes the gospel relevant to our child. You know, if we're always just excusing it or, you know, pushing it away in any way, shape, or form, they're not going to understand that they actually need Jesus. So, points number two and number three is number two. We're going to separate the sin from the sinner because we want to show that sin. And number three, we're going to understand what is lying beneath that. That action that they did, there is underlying belief systems, there is underlying flesh systems that are in need of redemption by Jesus. So we expose that and we're committed to exposing that. We're committed to these conversations. Point number four in the overarching principles of motherhood is the good news there is grace and forgiveness that follows repentance both between you and your child but more significantly between God and your child. You know it says in the word that it is his kindness that calls us to repentance and repentance is met with kindness and grace. So we want to introduce this idea into our parenting We want to introduce it into our conversations, and we want to extend it as a parent to our child. So with repentance, there is great grace and kindness that meets repentance. And then number five, my job, my job is not, your job is not to save our kid. Our job is not to make sure that they are following Jesus. Like we're not to manipulate them into becoming a Christian and praying a prayer, that's not our job. Our job is simply to introduce them to the one who will save them. Our job is to provide an environment where it's highlighted, to show that he is what they need. And how do we do that? We broke that down into three things that we offer a hope pivot. So we are not their hope. We're not going to solve their life for them. But there is one who offers them full hope, and that's Jesus. So we give a hope pivot. Secondly, we give a hand to hold. So we want to walk with them as they experience the strength that God offers. We are not that strength for them. You see, it's very easy in our culture, especially in our motherhood culture, to be the, the everything for your child. And we want to be very careful and very guarded that we point them to the one who is our strength. But it is not you and it's not me. We, though, hold their hand as they walk with him. Right? So we accompany them in that. And we're constantly pivoting their heart back and saying, you need God to help you. You need his strength. You need his hope. You need his perseverance. You need to be seeking him. Let me pray with you. Let me walk with you. Let me explore the word with you, right? We offer a hand to hold, but we're not it. And then the third way that we point them to Jesus, point them to the grace and the kindness offered with repentance, is we offer help in their healing, but we're not their healer. So again, your position and my position needs to be one of understanding that we accompany our kids to the cross. We are, our whole goal is to have this conversation where we're walking with them and pointing them ever and always to Jesus and saying, He will heal you. He will give you hope. He will give you strength. He will give you help. And making sure that we are not bypassing Jesus and trying to be that for them. And the last point, the last overarching principle that we've been looking at is that God intimately knows our children. And he delights in sharing that with us. So wisdom and discernment are from him. But he will be our source of insight. And we can seek him. So that when we experience something like what we're about to talk about today, we run to him and we say, give me your insight. What is making this child tick? What is... The underlying belief systems that they're believing, the, the underlying flesh responses that they always seem to have. Help me understand this child, the uniqueness of this kid. And he delights in doing that. Why? Because they are of great value and worth to him. Your child is precious in his sight and dearly loved. And he is in every manner, every posture that God has towards your child is to draw them to repentance. And you and I just gonna kind of get to participate with God in that by being hands and feet for Jesus, right? The physical and the tangible. So today we're talking about what do we do when our kids have a tantrum, when they throw a fit? What do you what do you say? In in our home we we call it throwing a fit. You know, please don't throw a fit. But needless, no matter what, how old your kids are, either a you have experienced it in the past. Your kids are beyond ages two and three, and they've gained the self-control and the understanding not to throw a fit. Some of us have kids who want to extend that fit throwing, and they're still, they struggle with self-control, and maybe they haven't fully learned that it's not acceptable. Or maybe their fit throwing has kind of gone underground, and it's starting to reemerge in those teen years with eye-rolling and huffing, and stomping off when they don't like what you have to say in the kitchen. But let's be honest, it's still fit throwing, right? And we want to walk with our children in such a way that we help them navigate all those big feelings and we help them communicate well without allowing and encouraging and saying, well, you know, a, be- a great way to solve your problems is to throw a fit but it's hard, isn't it? Certainly in those young years. I know that with mine, some of mine went through it at two and some of them went through it at three. Some of them, it seemed like they started going through it at like 12 months old and carried it on until they were four or five. So I have seen the gamut of what it looks like for children to decompensate in that moment and begin to melt down and lose it. And that we have this very famous story in our family of one of our children who has a very distinct memory about a fit that he threw. And we were leaving a store and he did not want to hold my hand to walk out into the road. And he was too young to walk out in the road by himself. He was only two and lacked all wisdom to walk out in the road. So I did not feel like the request, "Hey buddy, I need you to hold my hand while we walk out in the road." I did not feel like it was a, you know, inappropriate request at the time. But he did. He did. And proceeded to do the limp noodle melt on the ground and wouldn't stand up and then began to scream and yell that he didn't want to hold my hand. And when I, you know, began to pick him up, and try and put him on my hip to get us to the car. (laughs) He is squirming out of my hands and screaming in the parking lot, this is not my mommy, and she is taking me, and I don't want to be taken. So I remember thinking to myself, I want to kill this kid. Um, (laughs) That's honestly, and so I get to the car with him, And, you know, then I don't know if you've ever had this kind of a temper tantrum that's been on display for all the world to see. I'm trying to be calm and I'm trying to talk quietly in his ear. And he is, you know, as arched back as he can in my arms screaming that this woman he doesn't know is not his mommy and he doesn't want to be taken. I don't even know where he got that. But at any rate, it was a great, it was a great weapon for him. He felt like in that moment. And then in his car seat, as I'm trying to buckle that 5 point harness around him and he's arching as hard as he can. And I'm trying to just if I can just get his hip bones behind that that clicking clicker. All I could think was, oh my goodness. Bethany, don't lose it. Don't be unkind. Do not be rough with this child. Be patient, be loving, be con- you know, be sincere, but don't lose it. Do not lose it. Because, number one, you're out in public. Number two, it's not okay. But everything inside of me, everything inside of me, can I be honest, wanted to lose it. I wanted to lose my mind. Have you ever been there with a child? And then you're trapped out in public. In fact, because it was such a scene, some man had actually gathered all my bags because I had left my bags at the entrance to the store and I had decided that what I was going to do is I was going to strap him in to his car seat and drive my vehicle back to the front of the store and I hoped that my bags were still going to be there and I would pick up my bags because I knew I had to get my child to the car. And so now there's some man involved in this that I do not know and he's toting my bags for me to the house, to the car as my child is screaming that I'm not his mother. And I just looked at that man. I said, I promise you, I am his mother. And he goes, oh, I understand. You know, so you're you're dying on the inside. You're wanting to scream on the outside. You're trying to hold it all together. What do you do? And oftentimes, we have all this great advice, right? Which is what we're trying to weed through in this whole series, is the advice that everybody wants to give us, you know, advice that, oh, you're doing the right thing by the way I was doing it. I wasn't sure I was doing the right thing. didn't feel like the right thing at the time. This kid couldn't get under control. And it went on and on and on, this fit. You know, we we sat in the parking lot. He threw the fit for another 10 minutes. It just went on and on. I didn't know that I was doing the right thing. And then other people will tell you, well, you just need to ignore it. You just need to act like it's not happening. Well, that didn't seem like a logical you know, choice at the moment. And then other people say, well, you just you allow them to blow it all off and and get all that emotion out. And again, maybe a good choice, I don't know, but at the moment nothing feels good. So how do we handle it? And what do we do? So the first thing that we have to look at is what does God's word give us any insight into handling a child who's throwing a fit? And I think there's a couple places that we see Some similar concepts, maybe not a fit throwing like I experienced or you experienced, but some perspective from God that he will give us that we can then take into these moments and understand better. And the first one comes from Psalm 103. Psalm 103 verses 13 and 14. It says, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame and he remembers that we are dust. So the first piece of insight about how we handle or how we walk with a child who is beginning to fall apart or melt is we are going to need to seek God's compassion. And again, that goes back to that last principle of gospel motherhood which is that God has great insight into our children. He knows exactly what is underneath all of this motivating it all. And he meets those spaces with compassion. Why? Because he knows our frame. He remembers that we're dust. You know that the, the heartbeat of God to you and to me is not one of disdain, not one of disgust, not one of like annoyance, like get your act together. no. The heart that he has towards you as a mom and towards your child in the middle of the biggest fit they could ever throw is compassion. Because he knows the limits of who we are in our flesh. And in that understanding, he has compassion. Great, tender care. And so the first thing that we need to begin to do in that moment is we need to tie our own hearts to the father's and say, God, I know that you have great compassion for this child in this moment that is sparking in me anger or frustration or disgust, like, why are you doing this, kid? But God, that's not how you respond. Lord, help me to understand the compassion that you have for this child. And then secondly, when we begin to look into how he responds to people in scripture, let's look at what he says about the prodigal son in Luke 15. Because I think this again begins to give us some insight into his heartbeat for the misbehaving. So now we have something a little bit different. We have somebody who is completely, the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15 is that he takes what is his, his inheritance, and he wants it right away, which is out of order, It's not the right time for it, yet he insists on it. And then he goes off and does everything he knows that he probably shouldn't do. He is a complete prodigal, a complete renegade, completely rejecting what is the natural and the right in their family dynamic to do what he wants to do. And in that, he comes to wreck and ruin, right? And in fact, in Luke, it says that he's literally laying down with the pigs and he's like, wait a minute wait a minute, you know, one of the servants in my father's house would not have to live like this. I should go back to my father's house and just be a servant. And he knows that he has lost the positionhood of son, but he's like, it's got to be better to be a servant there than laying with the pigs here. Right? That's the story of the prodigal son from the son's perspective. From the father's perspective, it says that the father... Had been watching from him for him. And when his son was far off, his father saw him, saw him coming, and here's his key, and felt compassion. And ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said, Father, I have sinned against, you know, against you, I've sinned against heaven. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father responds to that. Not with, you right, you have, and you aren't worthy to be called my son. No, that's not what his father says. His father says, quickly, get the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, which is significant, and shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and let's kill it, let's eat and celebrate, for my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. And they began to celebrate. So the father sees the prodigal. He's been watching for him. He's hunting for him. And he sees him and he has compassion. And then he runs to him. He doesn't wait for the son to get to him to talk about it. He races to his son, which would have been very undignified. Very out of character as father to son relationships would go in scripture. And then he welcomes him not as a servant. He restores him to his positionhood and rejoices over his return. So not only when we are dealing with children who are losing their minds, do, not only do we need to say, God, help me have your compassion for this child, but it goes beyond compassion, doesn't it? It goes to restoration. So we not only have compassion in the midst of the absolute fall aparts, we're asking God for that and then we're committed to the restoration. And in fact, we meet that child very far when they're very far off from us. And so, in real practical ways, what does that look like? I think there is some value in some of the, you know, great advice that we're given of, you know, let them have that energy, you know, let them cry off that energy, let them have that fit, like give them some space to have a little bit of that, that fit going on. And I did that day, for instance, with mine. Why? Because he wasn't listening to me in the middle of the fit, right? So my job there in inside of that is this compassion of I understand his frame. And I understand that this is like, some of this is just energy needing to erupt. It is frustration because he can't communicate well. It is just a, a whole tirade. But I have great compassion in that moment. And then I also have like forward-thinking vision. And I know we will get to a space where we're going to have a whole conversation about this. this. And then seeking the restoration afterwards of racing to that child's heart. In that moment. So, after we left and after everything had calmed down, you know, sitting with this child on my lap, face to face, super close. Why? Because I believe that we know that we need to connect with our child, especially in times of tantrums and fit throwing. Like, we need to connect, and we connect with our eyes and we connect with our bodies, right? So, we touch and we get eye contact. And so we wait for it and we wait until they're ready for it. So I've had lots of tirades from lots of little children and they're not ready to look at me for a long time. And so we just commit that time to them and we wait patiently until they're ready to crawl on your lap and look you in the eye. And then we talk in a real low tones. Why do we do that? Well, number one, because it brings calm to a situation brings, like we're setting a temperature. Remember we talked last week that we're temperature setters in our home. And so we set a certain temperature, even in the way we talk and we have conversation. But we are running to their heart in that moment, just like the father did with the prodigal son. And we're saying, I see your heart. Your heart was upset. Your heart was angry. Your heart was frustrated. And we help dig out what was going on under the behavior. So I don't typically start with Why are you throwing such a fit? Why are you screaming and yelling and arching your back and and slapping at me? Which were all things my child was doing, by the way, at that (laughs) sore. No, we start with the heart. And we say, I see that your heart was really upset with mommy. You were really mad. Tell me why you were so mad. You know why? And sometimes our children are too little to have the right words. They know it, but they can't put it into words yet. And we want to be honoring of that by helping them. And so we say, were you mad because mommy asked you to hold my hand and you did not want to? Were you mad because you wanted to stay in the store and I would not let you? And we give them some options. We allow them to look at those options and verbalize and and communicate what they know. And we're addressing the heart that lies beneath the actions. Were the actions wrong? Yes. Were were the actions unkind? Yes. Were they disobedient? Yes. Were they rebellious? Probably. You know, disrespectful? Yes. I mean, we can hit all the highlights of how their actions were terrible. And we will have a discussion about those. But first, we want to understand what lies beneath, right? That's that point from overarching principles. And then we begin to have this conversation of, what is that? Why do you think that was? Help me understand your thoughts, and then let me help you see how there was sin in that. And so we talk about, you know, you were not kind. When you hit mommy, that was not kind, was it? You were trying to hurt mommy. Was it kind when you said, I wasn't your mommy? Was that even true, or was it not true? Right? And we're beginning to help them understand speaking truth and not speak, and speaking untruths. <laughs> So we're going to walk through that. Why? Because we have great compassion and we're going to meet their hearts and we're seeking to meet their hearts, not with us. So it's not, it's not that they need me to forgive them, right? Even though that will restore my relationship with them when we have a good conversation. But ultimately what I'm trying to do and what I'm wanting to walk with this child to help them understand is they really need Jesus. And even at two, even at three, we can, when it gets calm, we can say, wow, wow. That was a lot. What do you think about that? And, and they will have to be able to walk through that perspective and say, that was, that was not how I should have behaved. And we can say, yes. But you know what? God says that he will forgive you. When we do things that are unkind or say things that are not true, when we are sorry and we ask Jesus for help, he will help us and he meets us there. He will forgive you. And we begin to walk through the gospel story, even with these little ones, right? Why? Because number one, we have compassion, and number two, we meet, we run to them with a heart that is focused on restoration. And then the final, the final piece of this that I think that gives us information about how we are to handle temper tantrums or tantrums. And y'all, this applies. When we're talking to teenagers, it's a lot easier of a conversation. So I'm putting this inside of gospel language for a two or three-year-old because that's kind of complicated because you know how much do they understand? But we want to give language to it, even at two and three. Because we want this to be this ever-perpetuating conversation that Jesus came for you and for me in our most hopeless, messed up, horrible state. And he loves you there. And he wants to change you there. He doesn't expect you to change yourself. Nobody expects you to be able to pull your life together and stop throwing fits. But Jesus promises he will walk with you and help you. So that's this language we're doing at two and three. Now, you'll see it emerge again in those teen years. And you're going to meet it again. Meet it with compassion. Run to that prodigal child with a heart to restore them. And finally, Ephesians 2, 4-7 says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus for by grace you have been saved and this is not your undoing it is the gift of God you know oftentimes as our children begin to grow up and they begin to realize that they're throwing lots of fits and they begin to realize oh you know oh here I am here I go again here's another way I've not done it well We want to have this language of Ephesians 2, 4 through 8 that says this is an ongoing, redemptive process where God is at work, fully committed to you, changing you, but it is by his grace that you have been saved. Why? So that he might show his immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us. Not so that you can boast in what you do and how great you are, but so that you can boast in Jesus Christ. And there's a story that I've shared before, but, you know, I think it's a pretty important one. God's love doesn't depend on our performance, but oftentimes we believe it does. And if we're not careful with our children, when we're dealing with things like this, behaviors like this, we can give the message that God's love depends on them just never throwing another fit. And we want to be clear that God's love doesn't depend on that, does it? Thank goodness, right? Because you and I can't get through a day without sinning. Yet sometimes in messaging to our children, we say, well, you know, you got to stop doing that. It doesn't please God. And we're basically saying God's love depends on your performance. There was a story of um, Caroline and she had some cookies that she had made and she was so proud of these cookies and she was so eager to give them to this special someone that she wanted to give them to and they broke in the bag. She dropped the bag as she was going to the car and she was very little at the time, but she she dropped the bag as she was going to the car and we were getting in the car to go and give them to somebody and they were broken. They were broken cookies and she was distraught. And she was like, I can't give these cookies. They're no good. Nobody will ever like these cookies. They're broken. And yet you and I have the perspective, don't we, of understanding that cookie's still going to taste good. None of the flavor leaked out. None of the things that really make a cookie a cookie have changed. It's broken. But it's not. It's not worthless. Right? Right? But oftentimes, we want to be careful with our children that we don't give a message that their brokenness is a problem. You see, their brokenness is the whole reason for the gospel. Our brokenness is the whole reason for the gospel. And so the messaging is we meet them with compassion and we seek restoration and we message them and we fill them day after day after day with the fact that it is God's grace that has saved them. It is not what they have done. It is not what they will do. And it's, they're going to mess up every day. And God's love is not contingent on their performance. They can bring their broken cookies to the cross. And Jesus will delight in making that broken cookie a delicious, beautiful thing, right? So what he does is what he does best. And we need to be the women, the mothers who give that message to our kids every day. But it's hard if you and I don't know that message. If we don't understand that message for ourselves, it becomes very difficult to give that message to another And so it's important as we're learning this, as we're beginning to plant down in the gospel and we understand the gospel more and more, it's important that we really understand these points. That God's grace is always for you. That his mercy meets every single one of your mistakes. That his peace pursues you. That his joy takes away your despair. We have a a six-week Bible study course that we walk women through called Reset. And it's resetting your mind in motherhood. Why? So that your mind knows the truth of the gospel so that you can speak it out to your kids. If you would like more information about that, that's going to be in the show notes at the bottom of this. And we're starting a new warrior motherhood community where we are working this out in real time, where we're learning to study our kids with God's help and his perspective. And we're learning how to put the gospel into play in conversations and in ways that are very clear. So that when our kids come face-to-face with the fact that they need Jesus, it is with beauty and mercy and grace that we give them and we offer them God's restoration. So if you want more information about that, that's going to be coming in the next few weeks. And I'm excited to be sharing that with you as we're building that out. And um, that membership will be available to you really, really soon. As always, I want you to know you can reach out to me. Please seek me out on Instagram is the easiest way to find me, but I'm also available through email and obviously through the course Reset, Resetting Your Mind to Motherhood. You can always message me there as well and know that more than anything, my prayer is that you'll be building the foundations of your motherhood on the gospel. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for listening this week to the Warrior Mama podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support other warrior mamas, I'll tell you that one of the best ways that you can do is you can just share this podcast with your friends. You know, sometimes we love to talk about the things we like the most for our face, for our life, for our kids. Can I tell you that it would be a great blessing? begin to share with other moms the things that God is teaching you and the ways that he is growing you in him our prayer over here at the Warrior Mama podcast is that this podcast is something that does that for you in your life so feel free to share it with your friends post about it on social media and of course leave a rating and a review I love seeing what God is doing in your lives and I look forward to sitting with you at the kitchen table again next week